0: This man,
1: boo! Boo this man, boo! All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, don't boo us uh, right now. We uh, we'd appreciate it if you don't. Uh, this is our sixth season, first episode of the sixth season. We're very excited to be back uh, here in the studios. Alan and his, my, I am over here in mine. I'm Dustin Bassett. Alan Joaquin, sixth season. Alan, we've been doing this for freaking five years now. Coming this October. Will be five years when we started our first podcast.
0: Five years. You got it. Seems like it's been eight or nine, ten, eleven. It
1: feels like an eternity. Yeah. My friend. Yeah. It feels like it's this heavyweight, uh, this burden, um, that I feel like I have to carry all by myself. And there you are off in the distance, uh, like having a beer or sucking on a lollipop.
0: Why aren't you why aren't you drinking a beer? I mean, this is uh I mean, do we really want to be you all serious? I have seen some history shows where people are like bloody serious and I'm falling asleep. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so caught
1: up in trying to promo our show, The Sons of History. I'm drinking coffee uh, in the evening time uh, out of one of our uh, Sons of History Come and Take It coffee mugs. Uh, so speaking of promotion, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to us wherever you're listening. On the podcast, uh, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify. And while you're there, if you can, leave us a nice rating and review. If they go up to five stars, feel free. Click that five star. Uh, Do us a huge favor. And let your friends and family know about us. Let your enemies know about us. Uh, Let, you know, summon the dead. I don't care how you go about it. Uh, We're also on YouTube. We're also on X, no longer Twitter, uh, and we're on Facebook and Instagram, so you can find us there. We're doing a lot of work, uh, Alan and I, Alan, uh, we're going to get to your article that you recently wrote on the subject that we're going to be talking about, which is about the atomic bomb, um, Oppenheimer and all that jazz, but, uh, you can find us on the Epic times, uh, just search our names and you'll find us. Um, anyways, that's all I got, man. Um, how are you? By the way,
0: I'm I'm good, I'm good. I'm I'm glad to be back. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that we're not recording on Saturdays because that was getting a bit rough. I'm
1: gonna go ahead and tell you, uh, we are gonna be recording on Saturdays as well. I know this is a Thursday evening, um, and we're trying to, you know, leave our weekends open for ourselves and for our guests. We don't want to steal their Saturdays. No, but I mean, but the fact, not- the fact that we're
0: not having to do it every single Saturday. Yeah.
1: No, it's 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 definitely a plus. It's something we should have done a long time ago, but uh s- schedules wouldn't allow it. So, that's that's the that's the price you pay when you're just two regular guys that have regular jobs and you have a passion for history. That's it.
0: And if you want to see us doing this full-time, folks, then tell all your friends, like Dustin said, your friends, your enemies, your associates, um your customers, you know, Just uh, you know, get on bikes, knock on people's doors, um, give them pamphlets about um, you know the sons of history, and yeah, but
1: make sure you dress up nice. Maybe something like a a short sleeved uh, white shirt, button down, black tie, something like that. Yes, Uh, go around and make sure you identify yourself um, with maybe a name badge or whatever. All right, dude, let's uh... (laughs) let's move on. so you watched Oppenheimer, uh, I think, a little bit before me. Let's discuss that real quick. I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was very well done um, from not just the the regular cinematography or the cinematic elements um, and the acting and everything, but I thought the story of what I, Oppenheimer was – sort of going through off to the side with his relationships which we will discuss and then also his pursuit of um, something that you you know way more about than I do the whole nuclear fission and everything and and how to harness that energy into a bomb um, and then also just um, sort of the the fallout or the aftermath of having been part of or sort of the the figurehead, the leader of uh, the whole Manhattan Project, and then uh, the dropping the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So I thought it was just very well done, and I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. So
0: Yeah, I, I really I enjoyed it um, when I went to go visit Los Alamos. I, actually, I went to go visit the Trinity site in New Mexico at the White Sands Missile Range, the very spot where the bomb blew up on July 16th, 1945. That very spot, they call it the Trinity site, it's only open two days a year. The reason for that is because it's right in the middle of a nuclear, not a nuclear, right in the middle of a a missile base. So they do, they practice with missiles. They are in artillery, from my understanding. So I went, and when I was there on April the 1st, I visited the site, and then I went to Los Alamos. Um, And that's where I heard about the movie Oppenheimer. They were... There's a big buzz going on. Oh, there's going to be a movie coming out about Oppenheimer. And they were saying by Christopher Nolan. And when I heard it was Cillian Murphy, I was like, okay, perfect person. Um, it, it is based on this book, uh, American Prometheus. And I, again, I like you said, I thought it was a, a well-made movie. It definitely was not boring. The only thing I was disappointed in was when they showed the... Uh, the gadget blow up. Now, gadget was the name of the bomb that blew up in New Mexico. Um, I kind of wanted to see a little bit more oomph, but my understanding is is that he didn't use any um, CGI. It was um, I, that, that's that was my understanding. And I did I did spot a mistake. I did spot a mistake when the bomb blew up. Oppenheimer was laying down. He was not sitting up watching. Now, he did have goggles, but he was not sitting up. Based on um, a lot of the source material I read, including, if you if you want, like, you know, this is a book called Now It Can Be Told. It's by Leslie Groves. Now, Leslie Groves, uh, Matt Damon played his part. But uh, Leslie Groves was really the man who ran the whole operation. And he put um, Oppenheimer on charge of uh, the scientific portion of it. Um, but, but yeah, they were all saying that everybody who was that close, especially, they were all laying down face down with their feet pointing towards the bomb. So that was the one mistake that I did see on that part.
1: Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I, I, I appreciate it is one taking us through the making of the bomb, but also the necessity behind making the bomb. And it starts off where you have German physicists that are involved with trying to you know they're working on splitting the ab and ab they're splitting the atom and you know that they are working towards nuclear production and obviously this is all hindsight right so you know what has already taken place at the time you know it's a it's a totally different thing when you're living in it but do you think that the world powers, the people who were in power understood that the creation of a nuclear bomb was inevitable?
0: I think the scientists knew it was inevitable. Um, You know, they people were the scientists were saying that theoretically it can be done. But in reality, could it be done? They didn't know. I mean, it it didn't happen until 1938, when uh, when two German scientists, um, Otto Hahn and Fritz Strassmann uh, they actually were able to split the atom Now, uh, using neutrons now the problem is, is that uh Germany in 1938 was Nazi Germany so that yeah. caused a lot of concern uh there were there were a lot of uh scientists that were highly concerned about this whole thing uh they had um they had a, a scientist by the name of uh, uh Werner Heisenberg um now if you big uh breaking bad fan i'm sure you've heard that name but uh he he was he he led the the whole nuclear program for uh nazi germany and uh he he was a very brilliant man um, heisenberg met with uh with another scientist his mentor named Niels bohr neil bohr's um in uh, copenhagen in 1941 now, copenhagen at the time was already occupied by the nazis and uh neil bohr's uh I, I believe he was jewish or his mom may have been jewish but uh but uh, heisenberg met with uh, bohr's and was like look with the power that can be generated with uh with a nuclear chain reaction a bomb is going to be made once this thing can be made and you know it theoretically it could be done but once it is done and and the scientists can make it happen then it's going to generate so much power. It's going to create an explosion like the world had never seen. And whoever can get it first and who can possess it will win the war. Because you can destroy an entire city with it. That, that was uh, the theory, which, which turned out to be true.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: So now, prior to that, um, several scientists, There was, and, and I know I'm going to be butchering his name, but his name was like Leo Chillard or something like that. I, don't, I never could get his name right. Um, he met with several other uh, scientists, uh, Enrico Fermi, um, and they, they talked with Albert Einstein, and Albert Einstein wrote a letter to F- President Roosevelt, and this was in 1939, um, warning him that, you know, again, it's all theoretical, but if it's possible to make a nuclear bomb, it, they were saying that it would be possible to destroy an entire port, now they didn't quite really see the potential I don't think um you know the the hydrogen bomb you can thank Edward Teller for that one the hydrogen bomb came later on a hydrogen bomb can destroy an entire city, but at the time they weren't really thinking in terms of uh, the hydrogen bomb. they were thinking of uh, what uh, uranium could do, and the uranium bomb uranium bomb is not as big as the uh, um as the the hydrogen bomb, so they gave Roosevelt the warning. This could happen, so Roosevelt Roosevelt kind of uh, you know pissed his pants a bit when he heard the story, and he he got some guys and he said, "Look, let's get let's look into this. Let's let's get started with this." You know, the British were already working on this, um, and so you know the story of what happened with Neil Niels Bohr when he he, he fled he fled Denmark uh, two years later. The Gestapo was after him, and uh, he managed to escape to Sweden. But um, that was kind of a confirmation that yeah, the Germans are working on it. But they didn't, you know, the the spy network wasn't good enough. They did not know how how well or how advanced uh, Germany was in the development of a nuclear bomb. And uh, you know, there was a uh, there was a Boston Red Sox player that uh, he was with the OSS um, tried to kill uh, Heisenberg in uh, Switzerland. But but um, but the spy w- came to the realization after he talked with him that he came to the realization that I don't think that they're as advanced as we, f- as we feared that they were. So he didn't, uh, he didn't kill Heisenberg, but yeah, I need to write us. Yeah. I was a, a Boston, yeah, was a Boston Red Sox fan. You should, uh,
1: yeah. you should, I am. yeah.
0: Are you going to research what his name was? Or, I, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm definitely going to look into that. Um, that'll, that'll be a fun, that'll be a fun story. Um, So, you know, the idea that there's the idea that the the bomb shouldn't have been made, um, or it shouldn't have been used. And it's like, well, you're sort of going against reality. As we, as we discussed, it's like, who do you want to have make it? The Nazis, the Soviets or the Americans or the British. Right. And, you and I have discussed, and I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm skipping ahead, but you and I have discussed, like, the Nazis and the Soviets were, like, buddy-buddy. They were allies for quite some time, you know? And it's like, so, to an extent, they're they're somewhat cut from the same cloth, right? I mean...
0: It, Socialism.
1: It's just like, yeah. So it's like, do you really want these two murderous dictators to be in control of the most powerful weapon the world has ever seen
0: well you know that and that's
1: what you're up against
0: that that's the thing a lot of a lot of people don't know that yeah in when poland was invaded it wasn't just nazi germany the soviets also invaded granted it was on the 17th of september um they had just finished a uh a conflict a little war with Japan the the previous day when when they were able to sign some sort of like a treaty with uh, with Japan the very next day September 17th they invaded eastern Poland and uh yeah and they met and just they annihilated the whole country and uh and, and you know the soviets were not and you know, I'm talking about the government and the communists they were not good people you know the, the Joseph Stalin didn't stop there he also went into Finland. He invaded Finland. He invaded uh, the three Baltic nations, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. He invaded Romania, uh, Eastern Romania. Uh, there was a little country that doesn't exist anymore. It was swallowed up by the Soviets called, I think, Tanu Tuvu or Tanu Tavu or something like that. T-A-N-N-U Tuva. I don't know. It's, it's near Mongolia. So and you know, and Stalin and Hitler were talking about working together to defeat Great Britain and Great Britain was even thinking about bombing um the oil fields of Baku which was a Soviet oil refinery or oil field so yeah Stalin Stalin was not a good person and and, and Hitler was you know the, the the Soviets were not good people and not only that but but um there was is something called the uh, Katyn massacre where they where the Soviets murdered about 22,000 Poles, um, military and civilian, uh, because they were not communist. Just outright murdered them. So, the only reason why the Soviets became our supposed friend was because Hitler stabbed them in the back and invaded them on June 22nd in 1941. Now, the Poles, here's the thing. Poland, now all of a sudden, is now allied with the Soviets. So, they're like, hey, you know all those guys, that, those Polish soldiers you captured uh, when you invaded us in 1939? Why don't you release them so that they could fight with us? Well, the Soviets were like, Oh sorry, we can't. They all escaped into Manchuria. What do you mean? Where the hell are all our men? They're all gone. They escaped. We don't know what happened to them. Well, Yeah. Yeah. The Germans exactly. the Germans discovered uh, the Katyn massacre and they brought in the International Red Cross and that was the end of the relationship between those two nations. So so this is what the Soviet Union was and you know they were they really were not com- the communists were not pe- uh, people to be trusted. And um so when the, the when the Manhattan project took place the uh it was the United States, United Kingdom and Canada. The Soviets were not involved. Now they did have their spies. So you know, de facto involvement, yes, but official, no. And that was one of the things that caused a problem with Oppenheimer because he wanted to have an International Commission control future nuclear weapons. But but you're right, and do, did we want the Soviets to have a nuclear bomb first? Yeah. Because they, God knows who they would have used it on. They would have used it on one of us, you know, one of our allies.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, because was I think it was Patton who was like hey once we defeat the Germans the the Soviets are next like that's who we have to go after next right and it's like it was the it's the whole um like the godfather method of an enemy of my enemy is my friend like that's all the Soviets ever were they were never like an official friend or they were allies technically but we served them way more than they served us. Now you can make the argument that the Soviets defeated the Germans because right. the Germans invaded uh, with Operation Barbarossa and they they wiped out so much of, of the Germans. But at the same time, it's like who was building a majority of the weapons that the Soviets were using? Well, that would be us with the Lin-lease Act, right? So it's like who we benefited, really, by default, by the Germans invading the Soviet Union. And it was our weapons that wound up killing uh, so many of the the Germans uh, during that uh, Operation Barbarossa, and then the following uh, events after that. So it it makes me wonder, like, during, and I'm sure it's in the book, and because it's in the movie, it talks about how Oppenheimer felt guilty. And I can understand you know the guilt of having knowing that you were the head man on putting together this project that that created the nuclear bomb, the atom bomb. But do you think that that's just I don't know, I, not buyer's remorse, maybe builder's remorse or something, to where it's just like it's it's after the fact and you you see what what has happened. Do you think that that the guilt that he felt was misplaced or properly placed?
0: Well, you know, and and I've had a lot of discussions with this, um, with with a lot of people about this very subject. Um, number one, I was not in his shoes, so I can't, you know, I I'm gonna judge him. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of play uh, not a devil's advocate, but an angel's advocate at this point right now. And here's why, um, and I'm gonna highlight what president truman his reaction now the the meeting of oppenheimer and truman did did happen and truman did not care for oppenheimer he was happy for what he did for helping win the war but when he saw oppenheimer's reaction yeah he really did think of him as some sort of a you know crybaby crybaby okay now why why is that and and you know in Eisenhower didn't think that the uh, um, the use of nuclear weapons was necessary. I'm going to have to disagree with uh, with Eisenhower on this one, and here's why. Number one, Harry Truman fought in a war. He was a captain during the First World War. Now, anybody who's read about the First World War, about you know, you read you you read uh, or you wrote about the the battles of the Meuse Argonne.
1: Yeah, the Meuse Argonne. Okay. Yeah.
0: It was it was a slaughter. It was a slaughter for our guys. It was a slaughter for the French. Anybody who participated, you know, the the Battle of the Somme, the the British lost 20,000 soldiers killed on the first day. Right. He knew what kind of a meat grinder the whole what war was. So Truman really did not want to send our boys into Japan. Now there have the the numbers the numbers of the potential deaths that were to take place. I, I looked at a lot of sources. Fatalities, estimates of fatalities, not casualties. Fatalities would have been about five hundred thousand. Okay, now we had by the time we dropped the bomb,
1: and and that's just Allied fatalities. That's, that's, that's just Allied, including yeah, that's allied. who we're going to go kill.
0: Right now. We had only lost four, not when I say only we had lost four hundred thousand by the end of the war. Four hundred thousand men that today in that in those numbers it's I don't know about maybe somewhere between one point six to two and a half to three and a half million. and if you look at the population but um the the estimates were five hundred thousand deaths, fatalities of of American and Allied soldiers. Times two, times three of casualties altogether. You know, you're talking about wounded men. Um, the war would have lasted at least, for sure, by um, at least into 1946, possibly into 1947. There was also the danger that the Soviet Union, now the Soviets declared war on Japan only hours before the boxcar took off to drop the second bomb on August the 9th. Um, on uh, they they went for Kokura. That was actually the primary town was Kokura, but they ended up dropping it on Nagasaki. So there was the danger of okay, if we if we don't hurry up and finish the war, and we just invade and we invade, the Soviets had already taken. They were on the verge of taking all of Manchuria, and they went into Korea, and now they stopped at the thirty eighth parallel in North Korea. We don't know how how much further they they would have gone. They may have invaded Japan, and then Japan would have been another Germany, where you know you it, part of it was was split. You'd have another you'd have a Tokyo Wall over there. So and so you know now this now the Japanese. First of all, what you have to also remember is that we had been firebombing Japan. Uh, now, Kurt, General Curtis Lemay realized that high level high explosive bombs was not doing the job, so. He sent our B 29s on night missions, low level bombing using napalm incendiaries. And boy, it did the job. Um, in one night, March the 9th and 10th, March, from March 9th through the 10th of 1945, uh, 100,000 Japanese estimates were killed in Tokyo. That's just killed. Um, yeah. Estimates, maybe injured, homeless, were about a million. So Japan was already getting bombed.
1: And we have to keep in mind that that's before the war in Europe was over. This is March of nineteen forty-five. There were still once May of nineteen forty-five, and and the war in Europe concluded. That freed up thousands of aircrafts, thousands of bombers, and it also freed up all of our allies to come in. And it was going; it, they were they would have been capable of doing round-the-clock bombing like nonstop, like we're talking 24 hours a day, seven days a week until technically there would, there could have been nothing left of Japan.
0: Correct. And, you know, there, everybody was trained to fight, not just the men, but the women, children, boys, girls, old folks, they were using bamboo sticks, they were using any type of sharp, blunt instruments. The the goal was that every single capable, every single able-bodied, person from a child to a to an old man had to kill 10 Americ 10 enemy personnel and 10 enemy soldiers that that was their goal yeah, and you had to do it for the emperor they were not going to quit now if you you know the germans as as our guys got closer and closer into uh into germany the germans were giving up in in mass that wasn't the case with the japanese the closer we got to Japan, the worse it got. the The more stubborn and determined they were. Iwo Jima, we lost what it was eight thousand, I think. I'm, I hope I'm getting the right. I didn't. I didn't look. Eight thousand, I think. Eight thousand Americans killed. Six to eight thousand Americans killed on Iwo Jima. Twenty one thousand Japanese killed. In Okinawa, we lost about twelve thousand men. The Japanese lost. I don't know if it was like a hundred and twenty thousand soldiers and. That many civilians or altogether it was over. But they definitely lost over 120,000 people because they refused to quit. Pelou, Saipan, everywhere everywhere our guys went, it just was a bloody massacre.
1: And we have to understand, like, they weren't just um, fighting for Japan and for the emperor as a man. Like once the war in Japan ended one Hirohito, the the emperor when he announced hey to the public over a broadcast that this that was the first time that the emperor had ever spoken to the public and it that, that was because he was considered a deity and it was I think it was January 1st uh, 1946 like the following year once American occupation was was underway. He had his declaration of humanity, saying, that, "Hey, I'm not a god. I'm not a deity, and it is not the fate of the Japanese to conquer the world." And so, it's more than just, "Oh, they're fighting for their homeland." Like, no, this they're fighting what they, for what they believe to be a god, like. The emperor was considered a deity and it was their destiny to conquer the world. And so it's like if you're going in with that mentality and this is a, you know, this is not a mentality that's only like a few decades old. This is going back far into history. And so people truly deeply believe that, which is why you had women and children and old men preparing to die before it would sticks in their hands in front of tanks um in front of whatever type of you know guns and and and, and machine guns it doesn't matter they're going to charge it's like the the slaughter it's the whole book of revelation type of thing where the the blood reaches the horse's bridle like you want to see that like that was that is what would have
0: happened you remember you saw the movie american sniper yeah okay you remember the at the beginning where that uh, mother hands the uh that Grenade, uh, the the RPG grenade or whatever it was, the bomb yeah. gave it to his, gave it to her child, and the child ran up there, and that's times that t- times that by, by I don't know how many Japanese people there were about a hundred million, not, I'm not sure what the number was, but uh, but so th- so there were estimates that there would be ten million, ten million dead Japanese, um, and then a lot of them would have starved, so. Um, now, the goal for the Japanese, if the if the U.S. and our allies invaded, the goal was to create so much carnage that we would not demand an unconditional They knew they weren't going to win, but th- what they're th- thinking was, instead of unconditional surrender, we can force the allies to sue for peace in some method, kind of like how the War of 1812 was. Where um they called it the status quo antebellum, which is let's just return to the state before the war existed so yeah. um so that's what that's what their goal was they they want, they didn't want any American soldiers on their country on their soil, they would keep their government. it would just be a, okay we're we're gonna stop the fighting we'll we'll yeah. so that that was their that was their stated goal
1: and it's like no that's that's not good enough, like you. You started this with us, right? You brought us into this war, um, and there's that's the thing is
0: they they don't forget about what they did to China.
1: That's what I was going to bring up. It's like people so often, because um, I wrote an article. I know you wrote an article on sort of the, about the Oppenheimer movie uh, for the Epoch Times, and I encourage people to read it. Um, And I also wrote an article and people were, were commenting some of them agreeing and then a number of them like not agreeing and saying like the nuclear, you know, the atom bomb should have never been made and it was wicked and evil and stuff like that. it's like, there's, for some people out there, there's a real lack of perspective and historical perspective. And just in this, Sort of this microcosm of of time in the middle of the 20th century on what was going on, and it's like, and we had Barrett Tillman on I think last year to to discuss uh, the dropping of the atom bomb, and it's like the idea of dropping the atom bomb on the on the Nazis probably wouldn't get the pushback that is that exists today from dropping the bomb on on the Japanese.
0: What, wait wait wait. What do you mean by what do you mean by that?
1: because the nazis are sort of this they are evil incarnate right and the japanese for as bad as they were on par with the what the germans with the nazis but it's they are they're sort of put into a different category for some reason you know what i'm saying like the nazis are known like just think about it with the movies like how many movies do you see where the the villains are the Japanese, like the Imperial Japanese. Well, you don't hardly see that. Well, how many now? The Nazis and the Soviets, yeah. But the thing is, like, I don't think there would be the pushback if the bomb had been dropped on the Nazis. I well,
0: don't it, think so. There's always a controversy. Uh, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood made that movie. Um, uh, the, the, I think Letters of Iwo Jima, I think, is what it was. Is that the right one? I know there was Flags yeah, of Our Fathers. Yeah, Letters of Iwo Jima I think and called,
1: Flags of Our Fathers.
0: Yeah, Letters of Iwo Jima, and it had the Japanese perspective. And, uh, you know, the commander was actually a pretty decent guy, the, uh, the commander uh, on Iwo Jima. But imagine, you know, there was a, a movie that came out in the 50s called The Young Lions, and it had Marlon Brando, Dean Martin, and uh, Cliff Robertson. Now, Marlon Brando was playing a—I uh, don't know if he was a Nazi, but he was definitely a German soldier. And— uh, There was a lot of controversy because it made him look like a pretty decent man. And they're like, how dare you make a a movie where, you know, someone in the German army is, is, you know, looked with sympathy. When Clint Eastwood Eastwood made that movie, The the Letters of Iwo Jima, I don't think you could make a movie like that. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I don't think you could make a movie like that so much uh, when it comes to uh, the Germans. From that from that no. time period. Now they did, and that's they what, did in that's, the day. That's my
1: Yeah, that's my point is yeah. there's there's a separation there, and I think it's and you mentioned China, the like the rape of Nanking, like the the things that were being done by the Japanese were they're so horrific. And yet and I think a lot of it has to do with the exposure, right? It hasn't been the crimes and the things that the the Japanese soldiers did have not been exposed near to the extent of what the Nazis have done, and in large case, you know, you can you can thank the the Holocaust Museum Society like that that whole group that really continues to push, and then you can also thank Hollywood. Hollywood continues to push uh, about the. The wickedness and the evil of the Nazis, as they should, but you don't see that with the Japanese. And I'm not trying to like take and and, and I'm not trying to sort of cut off an entire uh, group of people in in the world. But what I'm saying is, we have to have that historical perspective of how truly bad the Japanese were, the Imperial Japanese were during. And before the start of World War II, and technically, as we discussed uh, prior in, in another episode, technically World War II started with Japan and China. I mean, so
0: you I just I'm have to have the, 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 the proper perspective. Go well, go ahead.
1: I'm just saying you you really have to have the pr- proper perspective, and I think it will change the notion of was it necessary to drop the bomb on Japan.
0: Well, you know, I um. I, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I met five men who were on those two missions. Um, yeah. Tom Farabee and Dutch Van Kirk uh, on the Enola Gay. Now, t- uh, Dutch Van Kirk was the navigator, and Tom Farabee was the bombardier. He was the guy that actually released the bomb over Hiroshima. Um, and then there was uh, Don Albury and Fred Olivi. They Now, they were on the—they um, were on, uh, I think— uh, I think one of them, Al- Albury, was on the Great Artiste, but they were uh, during the Hiroshima bombing, but they were both on the boxcar for Nagasaki. And then there was a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Russell Gackenbach. Now, he was a navigator on both missions, uh, Necessary Evil and the Enola Gay, on the, on the two different missions. Um, my understanding is the famous pictures that you see of the Mushroom Cloud, he's the one who took them. So I got to meet all five of them. And I asked them, what are your thoughts? Was it a mistake? All five of them said the same thing. I have absolutely no problem with what we did. They didn't lose any sleep over it. They thought it was a necessary mission. Um, They knew what was going on, unlike the armchair quarterbacks we have today. And I'm going to say this even regarding Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer was not in combat. Eisenhower, I don't think Eisenhower ever served in combat. No, he didn't. Never fought. So, yeah, naturally, Eisenhower. And that's Eisenhower- not a
1: slight. That's not a slight on him. No, no, no. It's no. a slight and, on and, him.
0: And listen, hey, look, I've. I I didn't you know I tried to serve after 9/11 but that's a different story but I did not serve in combat duty so therefore I'm not going to criticize I, Eisenhower or anyone who has served likewise I'm only echoing what what the guys who actually fought I'm echoing their voices and they will they would have said you were not there you did not see my best friend getting blown apart by soldiers on the other side who, half the time, were pretty decent people themselves. You know, I mean, you interview you interview some of the soldiers who fought, um, you know, like Easy Company. They said, you know, that other guy who was in the foxhole is probably someone I'd go hunting or fishing with. But thanks to our governments, we're killing each other. Uh, although with the Japanese, they were a little fanatic, and and I think the Japanese were a little bit more fanatic than the Nazis were. I hate to say that, but you know, uh, man, they did some they did some nasty stuff.
1: They did some nasty yeah. stuff, and talk about like just charging in front of just just m- mindless, you know, in a lot of ways, just mindlessly like, running towards machine gun nests and all. It's just like,
0: well, I mean, if you were captured by the Germans, okay, they. Respected, I, I think they, they, they honored the Geneva Convention, but the Japanese did not. You know what? If you watch the movie Bridge on the River Kwai, that you know part of that was true, but you know part of it they they kind of uh, put us little you know made it made it look a little bit nicer. But uh, you know, I, I was it the, the railway man? I believe I told you about that story. They the the Japanese, you know, you did not want to get captured by the Japanese. Absolutely, no, you didn't they, want to get
1: co- captured by the Japanese. But I mean, if you were like a Jewish American, you definitely didn't want to get captured by the Nazis.
0: Well, I mean, I'm sure you could uh, get away were, with saying that your, you know, your name was Smith or uh, why well, or, know, or but
1: Bass. It didn't always work out, right? And if you were a Soviet,
0: yeah, if you were, you yeah, didn't want to get yeah captured no, no. no. I mean, listen, either. listen. I, yeah. I'm not, not to take anything away. I mean, yeah, they did some pretty messed up stuff. I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about the soldiers, our, our military guys. But but with the Japanese, regardless of whether you were military or civilian or whatever, you did not want to be captured by them because they treated everybody harshly. They did not believe in the Geneva Convention. They had that uh, Bushido code or whatever you call it, where, um, you know, you really should die rather than surrender because if you surrender, you're a coward. You're you're, you know, less than zero. So, yeah. so you know, look, I, 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 I saw the criticism of people. You know, people were saying, you know, poor Oppenheimer. You know, his the remorse that he felt. Look, I, I realized that, and, and again, not to take anything away from him, um, that that's part of the reason why he lost his security clearance. Um, He was against the hydrogen bomb. Edward Teller had uh, to—you can see Edward Teller was in the movie. He's the one that ran with the whole hydrogen bomb concept. But he did not want the hydrogen bomb developed, especially in any type of combat uh, roles. Um, his, His wife was a communist. His brother was a communist. His mistress, who killed herself, was a communist. His friends and associates at Berkeley were communists. I mean, you know, I mean, even Leslie Groves is like, um, I don't know if I would give him his security clearance today. You know, during World War II, yes, the Soviets were our supposed allies. but, But, you know, again, Oppenheimer, had he served in a combat role and saw the carnage in what would end up happening to our men had we invaded Japan. Now, some people will sit and say, you know, the Soviet involvement in the war would have... that, that Japan surrendered because of the Soviets. I call bullshit on that. Part of it is because when Hirohito gave the surrender speech, he didn't mention the Soviets. He mentioned the cruel weapon that the Americans had created, number one. Number two, even though we had dropped the bomb on nagasaki and hiroshima there were a lot of japanese who that tried to conduct a coup on um before hirohito gave the speech they were determined we're not going to surrender but hirohito yeah, just even, didn't want to see his country destroyed any longer
1: right and it was his war council known as the big 6 who were split evenly on whether to surrender or continue the war and so he was the sort of the seventh dividing you know, final, uh, the seventh vote that finalized and said, we got to get out of this. You know, I, I mean, the, to- the, the city's on fire. Tokyo, your biggest city, your capital city is on fire, right? And it's like, you got to call it a, call it a day. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Oppenheimer was surrounded by communists. He had, you know, communists uh, leaning sympathies. Um, and, it's like, well, that was that was an odd time because there were a lot of people who it's sort of that whole outside looking in. And, and I sort of parallel it a little bit with with today where people can tell you and let's say that they're on the other side of the political aisle and they can tell you what your political affiliation or your political party is doing wrong negatively and you won't believe it right and they can even present you with information um that makes their point and you still will not believe it now go back 70 80 years when information was not as readily available and i would i almost say not as reliable but i mean how reliable is our information today um But you are going off of what communism was purported to be, which was, hey, we are more or less taking from the rich and giving to the poor and we're trying to uplift and and create equality, right? The message has always appealed to what I would consider idealists, people who are sort of naive about reality and human nature. Um, But it's always been something that is easily preached and easily... I guess, swallowed. I mean, it, people just people just take it, and especially like uh, today, and you see it in like the younger generation. But you have people who had these communist sympathies who probably didn't know. They probably heard, hey, have you not heard about the decisions from just an economic perspective that is creating famines um, and how they went about killing, you know, whoever? And it's just like, do you believe it do you not believe it and I to an extent I, I put myself in the shoes of the people that are listening
0: well dr. Jordan Jordan Peterson was saying that everybody knows about the the Nazi concentration camps but nobody knows about the um, the, gulags. the gulags nobody knows about the kulaks if you if you read about the kulaks the farmers um, of the yes. Soviet Union if you read about the peasant farmers of the Ukraine, who did not want to submit to the authorities and um, collectivize all their farms. Read about that, but people don't know about it. They all know about the Holocaust. Right. And they don't know that Nazism—sorry, people. I know there's some people who don't like me saying this. Nazism was socialism. It was a different type of socialism. It was all part of the socialism umbrella. It was was a—whereas communism was international socialism— National socialism was econo- it, the economics was socialism, but it was more based on a master race, like you know the Aryan the Aryan people. Go ahead. Sorry, man, I didn't mean to get on my little.
1: No, 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 no. You're you're fine. Um, I I forgot what I was what I was saying anyway, so it's not not that important.
0: Um... <laughs> now you're talking about like the idealists, uh, students, and all that who weren't really familiar with.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and. We know that our current generation, and just to sort of wrap up the show, but our current generation is dealing with historical illiteracy, right? And to your point, like what they know is more or less what they consume via entertainment. The clips on Instagram, movies from Hollywood. And it's like, and that sort of goes back to my point about the push by Hollywood about the Nazis, right? The Nazis, the Nazis, the Nazis. And yes, I completely agree. I applaud it. And we need to continue to make sure that people know and the future generations know how bad the Nazis were, what they did, the capacity for wickedness in humans, and human nature, uh, so that you don't feel that you are above uh, those who came before us. And that's another thing that Peterson Uh, brought up like people always say oh I would never do this I would never be involved with with the Nazis and I would never go along with it just to get along just to survive and he's like no you more than likely far more than likely would there's very little chance that you would actually stand up to the behemoth of the Nazi party right
0: well look at uh, the the pandemic that we've had I was gonna say
1: look at look at what happened here yeah I mean I mean you were there were people going out of their way to report on people to shut people's businesses down to more or less try to move them into a mode of starvation or complete reliance on the government, right? It's like you want their businesses shut down. you want them thrown in jail. you want them because you've been convinced that something wrong is actually right. And that's what I'm saying is like people who fall who fell for, communism back in those days um, I give a little bit of leniency there because it's like what did they know and what did they believe what was what was presented to them it's one thing to have a Joseph McCarthy running around you know and doing this you know the, the red scare type of thing and, and scare tactics or whatever it's one thing to have that and then get that blown out of proportion but it's another thing to like just sit down and be like hey Here's what's really going on in the Soviet Union. Here's what's really going in these, uh, in, in the Soviet bloc where people are starving. Or maybe they're eating, but they're not eating well. And it's a really pre-planned meal. And nobody has freedom. And they're like, yeah, but everybody has a place to stay. Well, it's like, yeah, but they're all stacked on top of each other. I've, yeah. So anyways,
0: yeah, well, I say watch, all that to uh, Dr. Say this. Zhivago where they all uh, pile into uh, his home.
1: Correct, and that's exactly what was going on. But you and I have discussed prior episodes about how many sort of anti-communist movies like a Doctor Zhivago there are, and, and and to an extent, you can almost count on a on like one hand or two hands. And it's just like there are so few out there that actually let you know, like here was the result of communism.
0: I don't know. Yeah, I think Doctor Zhivago. Um, I mean, there hasn't been any movies. Uh, Solzhenitsyn. I don't think there's any movies that, uh, from the. I've I, I read one of his books. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to read Gulag Archipelago because there's it's it's three books altogether. You have to read all three of them.
1: Yeah, I have the condensed version, but
0: yeah, what the cliff notes?
1: <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. I mean but there there yeah there's no, there's not very many if if I I can't think of any that were anti-communist. Yeah. Uh, is there any movie about what happened in Berlin in uh 40, you know, the Berlin Wall and the uh what was it? There's that one movie that uh Disney came out with about the hot air balloon where they escaped. Um that guy that had the um the alien come out of his chest, he played Kane. From Alien? Yeah, 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 Whatever that guy's name is.
1: Yeah, John something, I think. Yeah,
0: he was He was in... Uh, um, so, he, yeah, he did a... There was a Disney movie, and I kind of wish I could remember the name of it, but...
1: Right, I mean, but other than, uh, other than, like, the James Bond movies, you know, there's not a whole lot of... No. Sort of your anti-communist uh, movies. I mean, I saw one not too long ago called Mr. Jones. Uh, that was a very good film.
0: Was it anti-communist?
1: Um, yeah, it was... It was. It's, it's based on a true story about uh, this reporter who goes in to try to—he he had interviewed Adolf Hitler, and then he wanted to follow up with an interview with Joseph Stalin because, you know, Stalin, they were <clears throat> lying about their economic production and saying, you know, how much they were producing when, in fact, they really weren't. And Ukraine was actually undergoing a massive famine where hundreds of thousands were, were dying of starvation. Um, and so he, he goes over to the Soviet Union to do a firsthand account. He wants to interview Stalin, but that winds up not happening. Well, he ends up doing a firsthand account and exposing what was going on. And you have a moment where he's back in, I want to say back in London. Um, and he's expressing what's going on and people didn't want to believe him.
0: Um, so it's, but Because but the, the, they don't talk about it. I mean, has, I, I, there's not been an anti-Mao movie. There hasn't okay. been an anti-Castro movie. Exactly. I mean, you go down the list of all the... Uh, has there been a movie about the Hungarian Revolution of 56? Czechoslovakia of 68? There's so much material
1: out there that doesn't get pushed. And I, and I, I believe that it's
0: primarily because
1: Hollywood...
0: Um, and they, and don't forget the, the journalist, so-called right. you, journalist. well, you're, you're journalists, so-called journalists.
1: Your journalists, your artists, they, they all, are, more or less, they have these leftward-leaning sympathies. And they don't want to expose, perhaps, what they sort of adhere to as being completely evil.
0: Indiana Jones, the fourth Indiana Jones. And there was controversy because they didn't like the fact that they made the Soviets look bad. That was... I didn't see the fifth one. I think that's probably a stupid one, but
1: so it's a very, <laughs> it's a very strange, it's a very strange thing um, that communism and socialism continues to get uh, protected uh, by people with influential voices, um, and, th- and that's sort of the state of reality uh, that we are in. Um, I don't get it. I don't like it, and I think that what we see in schools specifically universities, uh, I think that sort of shows you uh, where we are. Um, And hopefully, you know, just you get the word out and be like, look, just abandon that whole idea of of communism
0: and and socialism. Weren't we talking about Oppenheimer? How did we get to this subject?
1: Well, I think this is like Oppenheimer eventually gets to communism because that's where he winds up and and loses his access. Yeah. Right. Because his communist sympathies and his uh, communist connections uh whether and like i say whether whether out of uh ignorance or naivete or you know hey i'm not going to sell out my friends because they're communists and they have a different belief system or, or view than i do uh so you know i i respect i respect that aspect but at the same time like once you know you have to let it go
0: you know i have a friend who's a communist i've known him since high school so i i don't know I, he was a good guy back in the day. I don't know. I mean, he's still a good guy, but damn, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's really bizarre to me that, you know, a a complete, like, this isn't just like an economic theory that, you know, hasn't been <laughs> used before, you know, or like it's an economic theory that, you know, is still being you know worked out or whatever but no this has been done and and the results have been absolutely catastrophic you know arguably 100 million people have have either died from starvation disease execution imprisonment um yeah it's just it's not worked out well for really anybody except the super powerful and those who don't mind Uh, bending over backwards and forwards uh, to remain in power uh, or not be killed uh, by those in power. And I think you know what I'm talking about. I know. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's going to bring our first episode of the sixth season to a close. Alan, if you've got like 30 seconds left of something you wanted to say.
0: Yeah, the uh, apple story, Um, the part of the apple where he poisoned the apple. That was true. That was a true story. That's wild. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, go wa- go watch Oppenheimer, but before you watch Oppenheimer, read my article on the Epoch Times about the Manhattan Project. I think you'll learn you'll learn something and you'll under- you get a better understanding before you go see the movie.
1: I stand corrected. We'll have the link in the description so you can check that out you can also check out my article as well but definitely read allen's and then you go if you haven't seen oppenheimer do go see it i think you will enjoy it
0: and go to uh go to the white sands missile range it's either the first or third saturday of october you'll otherwise you'll have to wait till april and you can go to the uh actual spot the trinity site where the bomb blew up and um yeah so although i'm sure it's going to be crowded but uh Thankfully, I, le- I visited the last time before they filmed or they released the movie, so.
1: Beautiful. Well, next week, I'm very excited about the guests that we're scheduled to have. Julian Jackson, he's a British historian. He's actually a fellow of the British Academy and the Royal Historical Society. Uh, he, speaking of World War II, he specializes in uh, sort of the Vichy France. Uh, I recently read his latest book, uh, France on trial. It's about the trial of, uh, Marshall Patin, right? Yeah. Uh, So it's a very good book. Um, so if you haven't read that, he also, uh, wrote the De Gaulle, uh, the most, I think it came out about 10, 12 years ago, uh, biography on De Gaulle, which is now I think like the standard, uh, for De Gaulle biographies. So we're very excited to have him. Uh, so make sure you join us. And once again, subscribe wherever you're listening um, follow us on social media and Alan. It was great to get back with you. Wonderful conversation. I will see you later, everyone. You want to say goodbye,
0: Alan? No. Say goodbye. I wanted yeah. to. I, I wanted to mention real no? quick. My parents were actually born in um, in Vichy uh, territory.
1: Is that so? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to bring it's up to him. Leb- uh, it's Lebanon
0: week. today. Le- now, it was still part of uh the French Levant or the French uh, French uh, Syrian Mandate or French Lebanon, whatever you wanted to call it. But,
1: yeah, like I said, you can bring that up to him next week. Yeah. Uh, that's so, the so, then the so then I'm so then I'm going
0: to say au revoir. How's that?
1: Okay, au revoir. Au revoir.
0: Marshal pa- Marshal Patin. You will not pass. They shall not pass. That was Actually, that was Robert Neville. Nivelle, Neville. Neville. He was. I thought
1: that was. I thought that was Gandalf.
0: Yeah, Gand- Anyways, Gandalf. Gandalf uh, said that, but but what's Bye. his name? Got there. See that. you later. Yeah. Have
1: a wonderful week.
0: Yeah, you too, man. <laughs>